Hey, today we're in our uh, second kind of week of our series uh, called What Are You Waiting For? And last week we talked about the fact that we hate to wait as a culture and as a people. And one of the things that we realized uh, was kind of this big idea that we talked about last week, that waiting is one of God's most important tools in shaping my character. That there's something about the fact that when we wait, that we actually are able to have our character shaped uh, in a great way. And then if you remember, I challenged you to do some uh, very uh, practical kind of things. Uh, For example, uh, if you're coming up to a uh, stoplight and it's yellow, what do you do? Yeah, I don't know, but in the first celebration, somebody said speed up. That was not uh, what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to stop and wait, and uh, part of the application was so that you would experience uh, God's presence uh, in that moment. Another challenge I had was that when you're waiting in line during Christmas um, or at the store, um, you would let the person behind you actually go in front of you. Or uh, if you're in traffic and there's a lot of traffic and someone wants to get on McGalliard, uh, that you just kind of wave them in. Just make sure that you use all five fingers, okay, uh, when you do the wave that way. Now, uh, whether you were here last week or not, it really doesn't matter. But I want to begin uh, with a question that I'd like you to answer with the person beside you. And it's this, how did you do waiting this week? So give yourself a grade, A, B, C, D, F, okay, and uh, how did you do? So tell the person beside you real quick, how did you do waiting this week? All right, some of you sound like you're trying to convince the other person you did better than you actually did, okay? Now, uh, so this past week, uh, I tried to practice uh, the whole concept of waiting myself. We talked about waiting as being a spiritual discipline, that if you read this book, it's a discipline to do it every day, but if you do, you'll grow closer to God. If you pray each day, uh, even if it's five, ten minutes, Uh, That will help you grow closer to God. And when we wait, uh, we actually learn how to grow closer to God as well. Now, uh, each day this week, rather than turning to my cell phone, when I first woke up, uh, I told you I was going to do this. I actually bought an alarm clock because we didn't have one. And I bought an alarm clock. And the first thing I did when I woke up was rather than going to my cell phone, I actually took some time to just wait on the Lord. And while I was waiting on him, it only took two minutes, but I said, and God, as I'm waiting uh, today, would you help me to have your mind, your ears, your eyes, your mouth, your heart, your hands, your feet as I go through my day? And so Monday went great. I got up. I got up my two girls who are 11 and 9, and we went to school. And typically, I try to see how many cars I can pass uh, on the way to school. I passed 27 is my record. It's true. I'm that messed up. Uh, I count them. And, uh, but this week, I didn't do that. I stayed in the right-hand lane. Uh, I stayed in the slower lanes. Everything was well. Uh, later that afternoon, I had to get my oil changed. And you go in for an oil change, and you wait in that waiting room. I'm waiting. But it's like, God, you're in control today, so uh, I'm open to waiting. I'm not upset about that. Um, we're good to go. And uh, then I picked up my daughter, Jordan, from uh, school. We went to an orthodontist appointment. When we got there, we had to wait in the waiting room. 
and uh, they actually have an arcade game called Pac-Man. And so we played it together, and I schooled her, okay? Like, I can't beat her in any other game, but when it comes to Pac-Man, I can take her down. And uh, so we did that, and Monday was just a great, great day. Well, Tuesday came, I did the exact same thing, uh, but as Tuesday went on, I found myself being impatient. I wasn't very uh, kind to my family and uh, wasn't very patient with the staff. And every time that I saw a yellow light, I assumed that meant speed up. So I went through it. And Tuesday was not a good day. But the good thing on this whole waiting thing is God always gives you another day to try it. So Wednesday came, I woke up, I actually had a cold. I was feeling really bad. But I was like, God, I don't want to be a complainer today, so I'm waiting on you. And so I give my uh, mind, my eyes, my ears, uh, my mouth, my heart, my hands, and my feet to you today. And I went to a meeting with our elders at 6 in the morning, had a great meeting. I met somebody uh, who I had breakfast with and waited on them and listened to their story. And uh, then in the afternoon, I went to Subway to get a sandwich. And I walked in, and I just felt this prompting that said, ask the person how their day's going. And so I said, hey, how's your day going? And they let me have it. And then they started talking about this catering gig that they had this past Sunday, and there was this church. And like this church was, there was one person that was not very kind to me at all. And then I found out it was our church. So uh, I said, well, I'm actually the, the pastor at Commonway, and I'm so sorry. Uh, to... <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, but I felt bad for you. I said, hey, actually, I'm the pastor of that church. I'm sorry. I'll try to figure it out, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get that corrected. And so I walk out of Subway. I get in my car. I'm getting ready to take off, and I notice that there is a woman who is kind of walking very uh, downtrodden uh, in her face is filled with tears. And I feel this prompting in my spirit because I've been waiting on the Lord during this day. Uh, Go see if you can help her. And so I was like, okay, God, I'm not in control. You're in control. I'm trusting you today. I'll wait on you. And so I walked up and went into Subway. She had been seated by that point. And I walked up and I said, hey, you look like you're pretty upset. And uh, just wondered if there was anything I could do. And immediately she started bawling. She said, well, I actually got arrested last night, and I just got out of jail, and I don't have any way to get home. And uh, she told me that her name was Jasmine, and she said, uh, you know, I'm just crushed right now. And you know that as your pastor, I try to make uh, some boundaries so I don't drive in cars uh, with women other than my wife. I try not to by myself. So I told her, I said, hey, I'll go ahead and I'm going to go to uh, this church office and I'm going to bring somebody uh, back and we'll take you to where you need to go. And so I found someone on staff. We got in the car. We came back and uh, I helped her to the car. And we got inside the car and she just started weeping. She said, my kids have been uh, in CPS and I think now I've messed up so much that they'll probably just take them away for good. And she started bawling and crying in this 10-minute drive until we got to her house where she was living with her cousin. And she said, "Um, this is where you can stop. And I said, okay. I said, well, Jasmine, I said, would would it be all right if I prayed with you? And she said, yeah, that'd be great. She said, I'd be open to that. 
And so I just started praying that God's love would flow into her life, that she would know that she's not forgotten, that God is for her and with her, that he will never walk away from her, and that God would give her wisdom to be able to make good choices for the rest of the time. And I prayed for uh, some healing that she needed for her body as well. And then we were done with our prayer, and she was getting ready to leave. And I said, hey, I go to this place called The Jar. We meet at the Civic, and uh, if you come there, you'll be loved. And uh, I don't know, maybe she's even here today. But this is what I know, folks. Because I chose to start my day by waiting on the Lord and allowing him to move, rather than choosing my own thing, that he opened up doors for me to be his hands and feet to the people around them. The Jasmine, in a real way, didn't maybe have any connection with God whatsoever, but the openness was that there was someone who loved her enough to see her because someone waited on her. Now, I'd love to say, wow, I do this all the time. I'm your pastor, and I mean, you know, Wednesdays are just a microcosm of how my whole life is. But the truth is, folks, I walk by more Jasmines than I actually stop. But God has been doing kind of this advanced course on waiting for me over these past uh, few days. And I've really had this sense of what it means that when we wait on the Lord, that he really does open up doors for us to be his hands and feet. When we're able to say, God, I'm not in control. You're in control. Whatever you want to do to be able to work in my life, I'm open to it. I'm willing to do what you desire. You see, folks, without God's help, this is the truth. I get an F. I get an F. I flunk waiting every single time. Without his help, I will always put myself before other people, and I will run a lot of orange lights because I hate to wait. Now, maybe you're like me. Maybe you're sitting there today, and you're like, you know what? I really struggle to wait, too. I mean, you have a hard time waiting on your spouse, waiting on your friends, waiting on your kids, waiting on your boss, waiting on your employees, waiting on people that you need to be reconciled with, waiting on healing, waiting on some kind of blessing in your life, waiting on God. And so last week, the one thing that we learned was that we all hate to wait. And that many times, instead of waiting, what we actually do is say, God, I think you're taking way too long. I'm taking matters into my hands, and I'm going to do what I want because I think it's right, even when we don't hear that from him. And as I said last week, when you get to that point where you're not listening to God's voice anymore and you're doing it all on your own, it's a dangerous place to be. We actually talked about this last week when we said this that the circumstance or situation or relationship or whatever I'm waiting for becomes the ultimate thing I'm counting on. That that thing becomes so more important than anything else that I'm counting. It's a dangerous place to be. So this week, I simply want to ask you this question. What is the ultimate foundation you are counting on? When it comes to you and the person that's sitting in your seat right now, not the person beside you, but where you're sitting What is it that you're ultimately counting on? Now, for the rest of our time, I simply want to uh, share with you two alternatives that I think are possible. They're throughout Scripture. We see them in multiple different ways. But one place that I found uh, is very clear is in Psalm 33. And in Psalm 33, we have these two alternatives that are mentioned. And this is what Psalm 33 says. No king is saved by the size of his army. 
No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death. We, what's the next word? We actually wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And so in this scripture right here, it basically says that all of life comes down to a crossroad where you either choose yourself or you choose God. And it's really up to you on what the choice is. So I'd like you to think about what is the foundation that you build your life on ultimately. And the first fill-in for you, either in the program or on our app, is this. I can trust in me. I don't have to think about anybody else. I can just trust in me. And that's the first alternative that most of us tend to turn, that we tend to turn to, is I will trust in me. Now, when we do this, basically what we're saying is I'm going to depend on myself, on my own self-sufficiency, my own gifts, my own skills, my own talents, my own works, my own achievements, my career, my finances, my good deeds, my religion. And basically, this alternative can be uh, kind of reduced down to this uh, acronym, DIY. So what I'd like you to do right now is turn to the person beside you and tell them what you think that means for your life. DIY, okay? So go ahead, turn to them beside you. What does DIY stand for? Okay, now, uh, Caleb, who you've seen, uh, Caleb, when I think about his own life, I think what this stands for is this, damage it yourself. Um, he, he, he can create some issues sometimes, so damage it yourself, okay? And uh, here's the next one that could stand for, don't do it yourself. That's what my wife tells me every single time I try to do something mechanical, Don't do it yourself. Call somebody else, okay? Uh, Derek gives this one to us. Derek is young. (laughs) He is such a stud. You know, we're going to miss that studly kind of person. Derek is young. Actually, though, DIY, what's it stand for? Yeah, do it yourself. Do it yourself. Now, uh, when our kids were toddlers uh, during this season of Christmas, every once in a while... Uh, we would get a very complicated present for them, like a dollhouse or a complex toy. And every time these words were attached to the instructions, do it yourself, I thought, this is not going to be good. You read the directions, and often they miss a step or two. Tab A doesn't necessarily fit into slide B, okay? Or they always short you a screw. And you can't get it all together, and then you can't find this screw. And this is what I've been convinced of with toy companies. They just want to screw us, okay? I mean, it's just like they take these screws, you can't find them, and we're in trouble. And many times, when it would become like 1 o'clock in the morning or so, I would finally say to Jen, do you want some help with that? 
Because the reality is I can't do anything when it comes to putting all that stuff together. But one year I decided I was going to put together their little play kitchen. And it took me two days. No, that's not a joke. It took me two days. And it took me two days, and the little door that is on the oven range, I still uh, have not been able to figure it out, and this is what it still looks like today. Uh, So if you need uh, some extra work for putting things together during Christmas, come to my house. Uh, There it is. Now, it's one thing for us to do it yourself when it comes to your own Christmas kind of presents that you're doing for your kids. But when it comes to things like our car or our appliances or our computer or our phone or our vacuum cleaner, we would never try to do something like that by ourselves. And when it comes to our own lives, though, this is the problem. When it comes to our lives, when it comes to our destiny of where we're going to spend our life, many times what we do is we say, I'll have a do-it-yourself strategy. I'll have a do-it-myself kind of strategy. And the writers of Scripture understood this do-it-yourself kind of strategy. In fact, there's a theological phrase that is connected to this do-it-yourself, and it's referred to as salvation by works. Salvation is just a big word that means to be complete or made whole. And we say to ourselves, well, I think I could be complete or whole by my own works. I love the way that Job, who uh, you've heard of Job and his story maybe, uh, a, a lot of time that he had to wait on the Lord, a lot of struggles. And this is what Job had to say. Through the pride of the godless person reaches to the heavens and their heads touch the clouds. Think of that image, how arrogant we can be. Yet they will vanish forever, thrown away like their own dung. Yes, that's in the Bible, folks. It's right there. Those who knew them will ask, where are they? Surely they will have no respite from their craving. They cannot save themselves by their treasure. In other words, folks, for you and I, as we sit here today, there is no amount of money, no amount of gifting that you have, no amount of good works that you can do, no amount of do-it-yourself kind of thing that can get you to heaven. Now, I want you to know that it's very tempting, though, in our culture to trust in our own strategy. If I just have enough money, if I'm smart enough, if I'm bright enough, if I'm strong enough, that can be the foundation for my life, and I will be good then. You see, the hallmark of our culture is that we would idolize self-sufficiency and achievement, and what we do is we start to climb and climb and climb, and we think that if we climb enough that we will have satisfaction in our lives, and we satisfy our egos by our climbing. Now, uh, this is no better shown than in this study Uh, that I read, in which they went to Americans and they asked this question. Do you consider yourself to be a very important person? So they just asked a group of people uh, who were Americans, do you consider yourself to be a very important person? Now, when they asked this in 1950, uh, this was the percentage that people said in America. 12% of the people said 
that they saw themselves as a very important person. Now, my question uh, to you today is, they did this study again in 2005, so who knows what it is today, but in 2005 they did it. Did that number go up or down? Talk to the person beside you. Did it go up or down, and what percentage would it be, okay? Okay, how many of you think it went up? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, pretty much everybody. Actually, it did go up. This is what the percentage was, 80%. Now, don't go, huh? That's you! 80% of all of you really consider yourself to be a very important person. Maybe it's gone higher than that because the study was done in 2005. I saw some other statistics. Americans are 25th in the world when it comes to math. But if you ask an American, are you really good at math? We are number one in thinking that we are really good at math. Okay? Time Magazine asked Americans, are you in the top 1% of nation's earners? 19% of Americans thought they were in the top 1% of nation's earners. So as Americans, we have a lot of self-confidence. We can do it on our own. We can do it by ourselves. We'll pull up our bootstraps by ourselves and we'll go forward. They did a study I read uh, this week where they simply asked this question. Would you rather be the president of Harvard or would you rather be the personal assistant to Justin Bieber? There's the beats. So would you rather be the president of Harvard or would you rather be the... Personal assistant to Justin Bieber. Three to one! They would rather be the personal assistant to Justin Bieber, okay? That's it. And uh, now don't feel too bad because even the president of Harvard said, I'd rather be the personal assistant (laughs) to Justin Bieber too, you know. Probably make more money. Folks, we live in this achievement kind of culture, this fame culture. We want fame. We want achievement. We want to look big. We want to look better than we are. We're important. We live in this do-it-yourself kind of culture. And in our culture, we're tempted to think it is better to have a really good resume and be a really bad person. It's better to have a really good resume and lead a really bad life. And people, I'm telling you, Uh, They buy into this all the time. But the reality is this. That resume virtues are not nearly as important as eulogy virtue. Your resume virtues are not nearly as important as your eulogy virtues. When is your eulogy going to be shared? When you're dead. You will not get to hear it, okay? Okay. But when we eulogize someone, we talk about what kind of person were they? And people always want to hear that they were loving, that they were joy-filled, humble, serving, generous. And the reality is, all of us know that eulogy resumes are so much more important than our resume virtues. But folks, no matter who you are, it is very easy to have a sense of our own identity and worth wrapped up in what you do, what you accomplish, what you achieve. Who are you? Do you matter? Does your life count? And the writers of Scripture understood this. And so this I-can-do-it-by-myself kind of strategy, I can depend on my education, my job, my looks, my connections, my achievements, 
and that will bring me security. I'll have security if I have everything that I want. And then I'll throw in maybe a few good deeds. And, hey, Pastor, I'm here at church today, so I can check that off. And I did that. And maybe I'll throw a little money into the offering bag when it goes by. And then all of a sudden, maybe I'll even volunteer. But this is the truth for every single person in this auditorium, folks. Every one of us will go, to a, go through some kind of crisis in our life. And when that happens, your degrees are not going to make it go away. Suffering is going to come to all of us at some point. And all of the contacts, all the networking that you've done will not stop it. An addiction will come and your strength will not be enough to deliver you. Moral failure will come and you can get all the psychologists and psychiatrists in the world together But it cannot wash away the guilt and the shame that you wake up with at 2 o'clock in the morning sometimes because of what you've done. Folks, I don't like to talk about it, but it's very true. All of us are getting older. And one day we will die. And one day we will stand in judgment before God. And when we stand before Him, I'm telling you, what you don't want to do is give your resume of achievements. Because that does not go over well for the God of the universe. We saw it in that passage in Psalms 33. Kings and warriors, rich people and poor people, our treasures, our toys, our homes, our 401ks, our titles, our resumes, none of those can save us. But there is another way than simply saying, I will trust in myself, and it's kind of our second alternative, that you can choose today to make a decision, I can trust in God. That I'm going to make a choice, a deliberate choice, each day when I wake up in the morning, that I can trust in God. The Scripture says this, remember the second half of it, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those who hope is in His unfailing love, to deliver them from death. We, what's the word again? We wait in hope for the Lord. Today, folks, you can give up this whole concept of do-it-yourself kind of strategy. And you could say today, God, you know, I've been saying the words, but I'm really meaning it today. I want you to be Savior of my life. I want you to be my healer, my deliverer, my Lord. You guide it. Now, the opposite of this kind of do-it-yourself kind of life is a type of life that is focused around one word that has five letters to it, and it's called grace. And this is what the Bible tells us about grace. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. This does not come from you. It is the gift of God. In other words, folks, you can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't climb yourself up to it. It's a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This does not come from you. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. 
God said, I'm going to give you a free gift. I'll knock on your door one day and I'll offer a gift if you take it. It's a gift. You can't say, oh, I worked so hard on it. I paid for it. I spent eight months earning this. You can't say, oh, I went on a mission trip and that's how I got it. I saved myself. It's by grace through faith that God came to you and He knocked on your heart. And He said, will you accept this free gift that you do not deserve, but is given to you. And for some of you, you've already received it. And you're living in that freedom. For others of you, you drifted away from that gift, and now you're trying to come back. And today might be the day where you say, I'm recommitting myself to living a life where I trust in God and His grace. And for some of you, maybe this is foreign, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but I know my life could be better maybe if I gave it a chance with God. You see, folks, the truth is, all of us in this auditorium today are on common ground. That's why the Bible says that in the fullness of time, God sent His Son, Jesus. God sent Jesus to come to earth so that you and I could receive this free gift called grace. We could choose it. And the Christmas story has both of these kind of alternatives as well. I will trust myself or I will trust God. In Luke chapter 2, in the very first verse, it uh, begins the Christmas story by saying this, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now what's interesting is Luke introduces us to this guy, Caesar Augustus. Well, who was he? Well, he was a person who believed in the do-it-yourself kind of strategy. He was a person who controlled the entire Roman Empire, which controlled the entire world. And he lived with the mentality, I can trust in me. He was the Roman ruler. And he saw himself as a God. In fact, there are writings that tell us that people would look to him and go, he is the Savior of the world. He was actually given that title, Savior of the world. In fact, millions of Romans would say that. But a king, why would he tax someone? If, if he is truly a God, he doesn't need tax money. Well, he wasn't a God. And he needed the taxes so that his army could stay big. Now, at the same time, there was a group of shepherds that were in a field and a group of angels came to them. Now, the virtues of a shepherd, the resume virtues of a shepherd were horrible. In fact, shepherds didn't have any resume virtues. Shepherds were considered the scum of the earth. They were considered dishonest. This is what they would do. They would take their sheep to a field of somebody else, and in the midst of that, they would let them eat all of their grass. And if someone else had sheep, they might take your sheep. So people were very scared of shepherds because they were lying, cheating, dishonest people. I mean, no kid 
kind of woke up and said, hey, mom, dad, I want to be a shepherd. You'd get slapped for that, you know? Be like, hey, I want to be a drug dealer. That's not a, you know, no, we don't want that for you. Well, Caesar, Augustus, made a decision to tax the whole world. But the angels came to the shepherds, and this is what they said. Do not be afraid. I bring you what? Good news of what? Great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. His name will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And he did. And Jesus, who was in this little manger, grew up and he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. And on the cross, he died a death that you and I deserve, but he took it himself. So we could live a life that we never deserved. That we could receive a hope that we never deserved. And that, folks, is called grace. Now the angel said, this is good news. Today, a Savior is born. But I'm telling you, folks, if you would have heard that for the very first time with this little tiny baby whose parents were so poor that they couldn't even afford an inn, you would have laughed at it. It would have been laughable. Nobody has ever heard of this before. Everyone has heard of Caesar Augustus. But that's the thing, folks, why you have to wait. Because sometimes history changes. Today, folks, I never hear a single person go, Caesar Augustus is the Savior of the world. Anybody ever hear that? No. But there are billions and billions of people who would say Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and He continues to grow in numbers every day. So let me ask you this question this morning. How about you? Have you decided that He's the Savior of your world, of your life? Is He the healer, the one that you could turn to? to be the Lord of your life? Have you ever humbled yourself and said, you know what, I'm done with self-sufficiency and do it yourself in God. I'm giving my one and only life to you. Have you confessed sin and said, God, this is where I've messed up and I know I deserve this, but you take that from me and so I offer it up to you to be forgiven. Because if you haven't, if you haven't done that, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of our time today to make that decision. I want to give you a chance to make a commitment to who really is the Savior of the world. And I want you to see a picture of the type of grace that He would give to you. There's a priest, a guy by the name of Henry Nouwen, who was a great writer and Christian author. And part of his time was spent as being a professor at both Yale and Harvard. Now, he was a person who was extremely intelligent, but as he was at Harvard and Yale, the one thing that he noticed was everyone was trying to live in this kind of do-it-yourself kind of lifestyle. And he found himself being tempted to kind of do the same thing. So he deliberately decided that at the end of his life, he was going to walk away from Harvard and Yale, and he spent the last 10 years of his life in a really different community. It was a community of people who had great cognitive and physical challenges. 
And none of these people had any resume virtues. They had no accomplishments in this world that would have lifted them up. This was not Yale. This was not Harvard. He says it was there that he learned about salvation by grace. It was a community of people who were mentally and physically challenged, who had cognitive delays, a place called daybreak. And he said, it's there that I learned for the first time of stop trying to earn love from God and just live in his love. And he tells this story in his book called The Life of the Beloved. And I just want to give you this picture of what grace really looks like. Essentially, he said this. Shortly before I started a prayer service, Janet, a handicapped member of our community, said to me, Henry, can you give me a blessing? I responded in a somewhat automatic way as a priest where I put my hand on her forehead and I gave the sign of the cross and blessed her. And instead of her being grateful, she actually got very upset and said, no, that doesn't work. I mean, I want a real blessing. And instead of getting upset, Henry was like, yeah, you're right. I just kind of went through the motions. It was kind of rote in doing this. And he said, okay, I'm sorry. Let me give you a real blessing when we're all together during the prayer service. And Janet looked up and she smiled and she goes, okay. I realized that something special was required, Henry said. So after the service, about 30 people were on the floor and this is what she said, or this is what he said. Janet has asked for a special blessing. She feels that she needs it now. And as I was saying this, I didn't know what Janet really wanted, but Janet didn't leave me any doubt. As soon as I spoke, she stood up and she walked right up to me, and I was wearing this long robe that you couldn't even see my hands, and these long sleeves that covered my arms. And spontaneously, Janet just put her head right on my chest, And without thinking, I covered her with my sleeves so that she almost vanished into the folds of my robe. As we held each other, I looked down at her and I said, Janet, I want you to know you are God's beloved daughter. You are precious in His sight. Your beautiful smile, your kindness to people in this house, all good things you have done shows that you are such a beautiful human being. I know you feel a little low these days and this is some sadness in your heart, but I want you to remember that you are a very special person, deeply loved by God and deeply loved by all the people who are here. And Henry said that as he was holding this handicapped woman, all of a sudden she poked her head up a little bit and he said there was this gigantic smile and he realized that she had fully received the blessing that he had intended for her. When she returned back to her place, Jane raised her hand, another handicapped person, and said, Hey, Henry, can I get a blessing? And Henry's like, Well, sure. And he said, Before I could do anything, she had run to me and had placed her head right on my chest, and I did the same thing. I put my arms around her, covered her with my robe to let her know how loved she was by the God of the universe. He said, we held on to each other. 
And he said, all 30 of the handicapped people who were there that day, each one, can I get a blessing, Henry? Can I get a blessing, Henry? And he opened his robe to each one, and he covered them to show his amazing love. He said, finally, the service was done, but there was a 24-year-old college student who was in the back of the room. He was an assistant there. And all of a sudden, he raised his hand. He goes, Henry, how about me? Can I get the blessing? And John walked up to him, and Henry covered him again and surrounded him with his love. And he said, John, you are such a good person to all the people who are here. I want you to know today that you are totally loved by God, and I want you to never, to never forget that you are loved. You are loved. You are loved with an everlasting love by the God of this universe. Folks, that's grace. It's not something that we deserve. You can't earn it. You can't get it yourself. But it's grace. And Jesus is waiting here today to give you his grace. And the question is, will you keep going down that road of do it yourself? I'm just going to do it myself. I'll do it myself. Or will you finally say, no, I will trust in God. I'll give my one and only life to him. And you know what? Jesus is here and he's present today and he loves you. And he has arms that are open. His robe is wide for you to come to him. And he will cover you and he will remind you that you are my beloved and you are loved and the question is will you receive it will you choose to say I'm tired of going down that path of do it myself and I'm going to trust in you and so what choice do we have for the ultimate foundation of our life I trust in me or I trust in God and you get to choose that Stand together as we sing the words of this song. I was lost, I was in chains, the world had a hold of me. My heart was a stone, was covered in shame. When he came for me I couldn't run, couldn't run From his presence I couldn't run, couldn't run From his arms Jesus, he loves me He loves me He is for me Jesus, how can I couldn't run, run to his arms. 
you know this morning that Jesus truly does love you and it's not just a song that we sing but it's a reality and uh, I'd like to just give you a moment right now before all the crazy of Christmas hits for you to uh, close your eyes and bow your head for just a second just a moment between you and God that this is a holy moment today, if you're ready to make Jesus the Savior of your life, He's right here and He loves you. He actually gave His life for you. If you've never done this before, I just want you to imagine right now Jesus coming to you, wrapping His arms around you, like Henry did for Janet. And just come to him the way that you are. There's no need to try to impress him. No need to try to get everything cleaned up first. Just tell him, Jesus, I bring my sin to you, my guilt, my brokenness, my mess, my regrets, everything, God, I give it to you today let him right now just place his arms around you. And if you're ready today to say, Jesus, I'm just tired of doing this life by myself. Today I decide to receive your forgiveness in my life as a gift. I'm ready to surrender my life to you. If that's your desire today, I invite you to repeat this prayer after me. But don't feel like you have to pray it by yourself because when we pray here at the jar, we always pray in community. And so as you pray that you would know that you pray this not by yourself, although it's your individual commitment to the Jesus who loves you. Just repeat after me. God, thank you for waiting for me and sending your son to save my life. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.